to start today with what sounds like the ravings of a madman. I know, some of you are thinking, yeah, we expect that anytime you're preaching, Shane. But I'm not talking about my craziness. Listen to these mad sentences from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in Romans chapter 7. We don't have the slides, but I want you to listen and see if you can catch the drift. He said, sin deceived me and put me to death. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that God's law is good. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Have you ever felt that way? I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I keep doing it. I know I'm supposed to do this good thing, but I I can't ever get around doing it. Is that your struggle too? You know, today we're wrapping up a series on spiritual warfare because we are in a war with an ancient enemy. Now he's powerful, Satan is, but he's not all powerful. More than being powerful, he's crafty. His primary weapons are lies and deception, and Ronnie's done a masterful job of these past few weeks just teaching about Satan and his strategies. But today I'm going to wrap things up talking about the two main arenas where Satan works his dark arts. These are the devil's playgrounds, and it is the world and the flesh. The world and the flesh. See, the problem isn't just that we've been told lies, it's that we end up living them. We believe the lies, then we tell the lies to ourselves and to others, and then we live them. Satan's narratives, his false narratives, take up residence in our minds, influencing us and warping our hearts and our souls. And it happens more easily than you might think. There's an excellent book written by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies, and he says, as followers of Jesus, we are at war with the world and the flesh and the devil. Satan seeds our hearts and minds with deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. The devil's disinformation, our disordered desires, and a sin-filled society. You know, we know the devil lies and he deceives. We know we are self-centered, selfish sinners. I didn't say that right. See if you can say it three times. Self-centered, selfish sinners. All right, let's try it. Self-centered, selfish sinners. We We are. We know the world is broken and far from the good and beautiful place that humanity was meant to be. Okay, we're not, we're not what we're meant to be. This is all laid out very clearly in God's word. In Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, the apostle Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Okay, so that's the bad news. That's pretty bad news. And just like Paul, I think we can identify with that. But it's not just Paul who's going crazy when he's left to his own sinful devices. We all are. And notice there are those three things I mentioned. 
the evil trifecta of the world. It says you, are, you followed the ways of this world. The flesh, gratifying the cravings of our flesh. The devil, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So we all have been there, gratifying these cravings, following the ways of the world, being deceived by Satan. But check out the rest of the story from Ephesians 2. The next verse says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy... What a wonderful, wonderful, no more beautiful phrase was ever said. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. Indeed, church, his mercy is more as we just sang. Amen? Oh, come on. Amen? His mercy is more. And let's look back at Romans 7 and 8 where I read before and we left Paul with the question, Who will rescue me from this wretched, death-inducing cycle of sin that I'm in? And he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he continues, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life sets you free from the law of sin and death. Amen? Later in that chapter, he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, catch that, Neither present, nor future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is so cool because Jesus wins. Nothing defeats him. Not sin. Not Satan. Not even death defeats King Jesus. So even though this very real spiritual war rages all around us and deep within us, we do know where to find the victory. I want to stop right here and just say if you're a guest here or if you're, whether you're new here, you've been coming a little while and you've not become a follower of Jesus yet. You've not asked Jesus to forgive your sins. You've not accepted the gift of grace that he offers. We would love nothing more than to talk to to you more about that. How his mercy has changed our lives and given us forever full and free life. So come see me in the lobby afterwards or When I'm done, we're going to have prayer time, and when the elders who are up here, there might be a few elders in the back too, you can come and talk to any of them and say, I want to learn more about how to be forgiven, how to have forever life because of what Jesus did. We'll stop everything to talk about that. Amen, church? But I'm going to spend the rest of my time here talking about two areas, these two areas that that are the devil's playground, the world and the flesh, the war raging all around us and deep within us. First, the world. Now that verse we read earlier in Ephesians said the ways of the world, the spirit at work in those who are disobedient. That's the system of the world, kind of like when Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, the world is any way that sin is made to seem normal and righteousness and God's goodness is somehow made to seem strange. In his book, John Mark Comer has a good definition of the world. He calls it a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. We live in a world that has rebelled against God. We sometimes rebel against God. We'll get to that later. And it's working overtime to redefine good and evil. This is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin goes viral and spreads throughout a society. The result is that that the distorted becomes normal. Sin becomes something else. Lust is redefined as love. Freedom becomes free to do whatever I want. Political ends justify the means when character and virtue are devalued. 
greed and pleasure and comfort become the path to personal happiness, whatever that means to you. And each one does what is right in his own eyes. I'm going to quickly highlight three core components of our modern Western culture, our modern Western worldly system. There's other places in the world that might have something a little different. But in the Western world, you definitely have these. We have that we are materialistic. Rather than a full, complete, holistic worldview that includes the mysteries of the unseen world, the spiritual world, we are all about the physical these days. And personally, we consume, we accumulate, we love our creature comforts. We're materialistic. And we can be highly individualistic. We desire freedom from the constraints of responsibility to others. Let me say that again. We desire freedom from the constraints of responsibility to others. We claim the right to do what feels good and right to us, and the self is elevated above all else. Let me warn you here that a very individualistic strain of Christianity can creep into the culture, but really more even into the church and into our church if we're not careful. So allow me to remind you that while our faith in Christ is a very personal one, it's not meant to be individualized or isolated. We are together in Christ. And finally, this culture is a hedonistic one. That, that means being engaged in a self-indulgent pursuit of pleasure. I want what feels good to me. I want it all. I want it my way. I want it now. With bacon. In contrast to that, we need to heed this warning in Colossians 2.8. Leave the materialistic, the individualistic, the hedonistic, all that other stuff, and says, see to it now that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He goes on to say that though we were dead in our sins and ruled by the flesh, God has now made us alive in Christ and forgiven our sins, nailing them to the cross. Paul says this kind of stuff a lot, right? awesome. And he ends up saying, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's meaning even the spiritual demonic forces, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is the great world-changing, reality-shaping victory of Jesus. And in light of this, we have a clear calling to conform not to the world, but to conform to the way of Christ and to become like Christ. We are to be distinct from the world, different, set apart, a peculiar people. Now some of you are better at being peculiar than others. But the cultural currents we're swimming in are powerful. They have a mighty undertow. So we must be aware of these currents. So I'm going to ask you to think about these two questions. And when engaging in our culture, ask, and about yourself, ask these two questions. First, what is normal in the world that should not be normal for me as a follower of Jesus. Don't just think of the big obvious things or whatever. Think of the deep culture. And then what isn't normal for the world but should be normal for me as an apprentice of Jesus? We could go a whole sermon on that stuff. But I promised I'd keep it under three hours. So, you know, Too often we're simply uncritical and unaware of the cultural waters we are swimming in. You know, a fish doesn't know that water's wet. And so you've got to be aware and think about those kind of questions. You know, our technology and our infotainment-saturated world, it's been seeded with the lies and the deceptions of the evil one. We have to be alert and aware. We need to be wisely weird in a winsome way. 
You know, one author wrote that the, through Jesus, we have an opportunity to be called out of the world, out of all the stressful, hurried, distracted, human, dehumanizing effects of the modern world. We can still be in this world, but not of it. And this is where I'd like to take a moment and just say that is to our teens and our students, this is my sincere desire and prayer for you. Not that you would just throw away your iPhones, but rather right now, and as you go on off to college and your first jobs and make your way in the world, that as you go, you will be followers of Jesus, followers of the way of Jesus that have been shaped and formed by him and formed by his community. That you have then become that, you're you're in the process of becoming maybe, that unhurried, present, mature, centered person of uncommon depth. I believe your friends will notice that about you. I think you can do this in ways already that we as adults are struggling with. And so there's something different about you and there's a lot you can do to stand out in this way. Jesus is creating a new normal in your community. The Holy Spirit is taking you deeper and the world will notice that depth and that goodness. And honestly, church, I've got a fantastic view of our children's ministry our uh, student ministry. Our family's gone through every stage of the children's ministry. Carol volunteers there all the time. Let me tell you, it's a fantastic team that Joel and the, the team there are building. And what they're doing is building a great foundation in partnership with parents. If you have a kid and you're not involved in our children's ministry, I urge you to get involved. It's fantastic. Likewise, our student ministry. I get to see from a ministry staff perspective just what a great job Kevin and Kennedy are doing. They do fantastic work. And our family's also blessed by being a part of the youth group. And frankly, I'm really impressed by what the Lord is growing in that community of young people. It's a fantastic group we've got right now, and God is doing something special. And so if you've got a teen, or if you are a teen, check out what's happening on Wednesday nights here at 7 o'clock. Check out what's happening Sunday morning at Bible class time. Check out the events. There's amazing things going on in our student ministry community. But I want to give you again this calling. Kids of whatever age, younger kids, older kids, very old kids, In this culture of individualism and isolation, let's grow a community of deep relational ties. In this culture of sin and selfishness, let's grow a community of holiness and godliness and goodness. In this culture of chaos and canceling and the fruitless grasping after the things of the world, let's grow a community of grace and graciousness. So we live in this world, but we're not of it. We're aware, we're wise to the devil's lies, and we embrace the calling of a different Christ-shaped, cruciform way of life. And that's the world. We need to be alert and aware. But it's really important that we don't fall into a trap here. It's a trap the devil's really good at in church. Because we can just think that evil is just out there in the world. Just turn on the news, you see all the evil out there, right? But there's another playground that the devil loves to play in. And we're vulnerable to that place the flesh, our own fleshly desires, the in-here threat. You know, our impulse is to blame and hide. You remember Adam and Eve? Remember that Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the devil, and then they both tried to run and hide from God. Unfortunately, this impulse to hide and shame keeps us from using one of our most powerful weapons against sin, and that is confession. In this way, Satan has really done a masterful job of deception in the church, maybe even more so than in the world in a weird way. And so I want to say, you got to cultivate a community where it's safe to share what you're really struggling with. 
And here at church, we have a lot of communities like that, whether it be you know, our small groups, our connection groups, your Bible classes, your friend groups, Celebrate Recovery, our care and support groups. We've got to be able to confess, this is where I'm at right now, and this is where God's calling me to change. So let's talk about the flesh. As followers of Jesus, we're at war again with the devil, and he works through both the world and our flesh. He seeds our hearts and minds with deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. And so when the Bible uses the word flesh like this, it's talking about sinful passions, gratifying our cravings in an ungodly way with pleasure or comfort or control or power. Church leaders as far back as Augustine have described it well as a matter of disordered desires. And I want to think about that for a minute. To have disordered desires means to either love the wrong things or to love the right things in the wrong order. You know, sex is an obvious example how it's misused, how the enemy has corrupted in our culture the beauty of a God-given gift of a man and a woman becoming one. But even right there, stop for a second. Don't succumb to the temptation to think that evil is just out there in the world. We all struggle with issues of sex or lust at times. And it's a disordered desire when it's not used the way God has taught us and the way it's meant to be. Instead, what Satan does, he floods the zone with a cheap substitute, that objectification of our bodies for a cheap thrill that doesn't even come close to what God meant sex to be. But in our flesh, we're tempted by that sugar rush. Speaking of sugar, you know, I've heard in our Celebrate Recovery ministry on Friday nights, several times, a dear brother or sister described their struggle with food by saying, I have an unhealthy relationship with food. I think that is a profoundly wise and helpful insight for whatever struggle you might be having. I bet we could all fill in that blank. I have an unhealthy relationship with, in fact, I'm going to say that again and then I want you all to shout out your thing, okay? I have an un, you're not, you're not, you're not game for that? But seriously, I hope you have a safe group of friends or a place where you can share that. Because I have an unhealthy, unhealthy relationship with some things that I need to put, to crucify that flesh. Whatever it may be. Have you ever read The Screwtape Letters? A short novel that C.S. Lewis wrote in 1942 that was dedicated to his friend J.R.R. Tolkien. It depicts a series of letters in which Screwtape, who's an experienced devil, and he instructs his young pupil, Wormwood, on effective strategies for tempting the human being assigned to him and making sure that that human continues on a steady path towards destruction and damnation. I'm going to read you a few selections, and it's a masterful take on how the devil and his forces work against us. Now, I want to note, when these demons, Screwtape or Wormwood, when they mention the enemy, they're talking about their enemy, God. So to them, the enemy is God. Okay, here we go. First, Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce even one. So all we can do is encourage the humans to take pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Another one. 
Screwtape says to Wormwood, it does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light. Murder is no better than gambling if gambling can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Friends, pleasure is about wanting and then wanting more and more in a way that God said we are not to do. True happiness is about the freedom from want. Unfortunately, the world system we live in combined with the desires of our old flesh, in that way kind of the devil has perfectly attuned things so that now happiness has become about feeling good and not being good. The good life has become about getting what we want rather than becoming the kind of people who want truly good things. You see the difference? And just like the Apostle Paul, our deepest desires as followers of Christ, we, are, we want to become people of goodness and love, apprentices of Jesus or who are becoming more and more like Jesus and how we live. But these can be sabotaged and corrupted by the surface level desires of our flesh. And of course, this is exacerbated by a culture where the wisdom of the day is to follow our desires rather than to crucify them. Do not discount the war that is raging within you. The spirit versus the flesh. The war of disordered desires. In Galatians 5, the, the Bible says we are to walk by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. It says the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with one another. And then Paul lists out some of those acts of the flesh. And you've got the usual suspects, drunkenness, witchcraft, hatred, and the like. But he also lists things like selfish ambition, jealousy, envy, discord, dissensions. And you can fill in your own blanks right there, can't you, as well? But then he writes this beautiful passage. In verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Would you say those with me now? Let's say it now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we've been talking about spiritual warfare these last few weeks, and one of the best teachings I ever heard about it compared Satan and his demons, actually, to rats. Let's look at one here. Got a picture of a rat here? All right, keep him up there. Who says, I want to pull, who says he's cute? Who says he's cute? All right, who says he is not cute? Who says he is not cute when he's in your house? Okay, keep that one up there. Don't go to the next one yet. You guys would have been horrified by the Google search I did. Because what I was really searching for was rats in the garbage, something like this. Ah, yeah. Are they, are they cute? Look at those monsters. Of course, everything in Texas is bigger, right? Even the rats, like this. <laughs> they're also not cute if they're in your garbage, right? Okay, well, here's a less scary photo for you. But Satan and his demons are like those rats. They really are. How do you get rid of the rats? I'm going to stop and tell you a little story. 
Many years ago when Carol and I lived in Uganda, we once found that we had a little mouse in our kitchen. And he was a little mouse. And he was very fast. He would zip, 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 all around. He was like a blur when he ran. Well, I learned a, an easy, free way to make your own mouse trap. And you get like a paper towel roll and you put some peanut butter in one end of it. And you balance it on the edge of the counter, just so. And then you put a trash can down there. And so when the mouse runs through the tube to get the peanut butter, because they love peanut butter, then it falls into the trash can. Now what you're supposed to do is fill the trash can with enough water to drown the little guy. So in the morning, all you have to do is, you know, throw out the carcass. Now, at that point, one of the gauges said that she didn't want to drown the poor little mouse. And so she says, just catch it and then we'll throw it out in a field. I'm like, I don't know. I think I'd rather just get, kill this guy. But okay. I, we caught him with a little self-made mouse trap, and he's in the trash can. And so I take him out to a field far away, and I dump him, and I come back home. Well, guess what happens in the next couple days? Mouse. There's evidence of a mouse. And I say, you know what, honey? It's the same mouse. She's like, it can't be the same mouse. I'm like, it's the same mouse. So sure enough, we go, and we set up the little mouse trap. And the next morning, yep, there's a mouse in the trash can. And I'm like, it's the same mouse. I can tell. And she said, you cannot tell. I said, this guy is my mortal enemy now. I know this mouse. So she says, it's not the same one. I said, it is. I'm going to prove it to you. So I spray painted him blue. <laughs> True story. Take him out farther to the field, far, far away, dump him, go back home. And then a few days later, it might, I think he even got smarter. It might have been like one day that last time. We have evidence of a mouse in the kitchen. So I set up the little trap. And sure enough, the next morning, what is in the trash can? A blue mouse. We named him Bluey. And then Bluey went on a different kind of trip to that great field in the sky. And he did not return. They're not cute when they're in their house, folks. So how do you get rid of the rodents? You can chase them off, but they'll come back. You can kill them, but more can come. Remember, the rats are like Satan. The demons are like rats. More will come. Satan's not going to give up easily. You have to get rid of the garbage. Let's put that picture of the rats and the garbage up there again. You have to get rid of the garbage. Satan and his demons are like the rats attracted to the garbage in our lives. Friends, you do not want Satan's spiritual rats hanging around your house in your life. You do not want to make your heart a hospitable place for screw tape and all his friends. So take out the garbage. Clean out the trash. Please get help if you need to. This stuff is serious. Well, I close today with one final really wonderful scripture. Okay? 1 John 1, 9-10 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just, and he will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. In chapter 2, then he goes on to say that, I write to you, and this is the older Apostle John who's writing to the Christians in the first century there, and he's saying, I write this to you, dear children, so you do not sin. Don't fall to that trap, to Satan's trap of sin, following and being captivated by your disordered desires. He's, he's begging them. But he says, if we do sin, we have an advocate 
Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and also the sins of the whole world. It's good news, folks. Jesus redeems us and he redeems the world, all who will come to him. And that's good news. I'm going to ask the praise band to come on up and uh, shepherding elders, you can begin taking your places also uh, to get ready for prayer time in just a second. While they're coming up, let me just remind you. Let's recognize Satan's lying schemes, folks. Let's resist the devil and the pull of the flesh. Let's run to Jesus and let's remain in him. Let's repent and confess for he is faithful and he will purify us from all unrighteousness and he will give us new life. Let us rejoice because we have victory in Jesus over sin and death and selfishness and Satan. We have his grace. We have his truth. We have this good, loving community that is here to help. And we have Jesus who said that though the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. Folks, his mercy is more, way more. Yes, Satan plants deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society, but we walk a different path following the one who is the way the truth, the life that is good and full and true forever.